Hello, this is Brian Croft. I'm the senior pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm also the founder of Practical Shepherding. A few years ago, I started a blog about the daily work of a pastor, and that blog has grown into the various ministries of Practical Shepherding. We want to come alongside pastors who are laboring in the trenches of pastoral ministry to encourage and to equip them. And that's why we started this podcast, Trench Talk. So we hope this podcast encourages you and your church as we continue our conversation about the pastor's work. To find out more about Practical Shepherding, visit our website at practicalshepherding.com or you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Welcome to Trench Talk, a podcast by pastors for pastors. I'm your host, Josh Scher. Each episode, we examine an element of the pastor's ministry with a focus on the practical details of that work. During the first season of the show, we are taking a broad look at some of the basics with the intention to give a framework for ministry. That means that there are going to be times in these early episodes where we will leave some questions on the table, but we hope to get back to these at a later time. As you listen and questions arise, we would like you to send them our way through the website, Facebook, or Twitter. We'd love to hear from you and use your questions for a question and answer episode later on. This episode is about service planning. To help us think practically about this work, we have Brian Croft, the senior pastor of Auburn Hill Baptist Church and founder of Practical Shepherding. We also have with us Jason Atkins, who is an associate pastor at Auburn Hill Baptist Church. Together, Brian and Jason wrote Gather God's People, subtitled Understand, Plan, and Lead Worship. Brothers, thank you both for being here. And I want to start our time together by asking Jason to just uh, give us a bit of an overview about what you do here at Auburn Hill Baptist Church. What does your ministry here involve? Sure, yeah. I'm a bivocational minister, so I work at another job outside of the church that actually pays most of my salary uh, has a lot of benefits, and that job is a technical writer. I write grant applications. But here at Auburndale, I work about 20 hours a week, and I have a lot of different responsibilities. A lot of that involves worship ministry, um, helping plan worship services, and then leading the musicians on Sunday morning. A lot of administrative duties. Um, all the correspondence in the church goes through me. Um, and a lot of outreach as well. I'm uh, focusing a lot on evangelism in the neighborhood. So. Uh, just a lot of different miscellaneous tasks there. And a valuable asset to our church. He pretty much runs the church. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, brothers, we're here to talk about service planning. And so the first question that I want to ask is, what kinds of things are we planning for? What are the basic activities that are involved in a worship service that we would plan? Right. So, um the activities that we plan for in our worship services are what we see in the New Testament that's uh, commanded for churches to do when they gather. So we look at what's commanded and exemplified in the New Testament. So we have five major things that we plan. Uh, that would be prayer. We see that um, in the New Testament that when believers are gathered, they're praying. There are a lot of commands, too, for churches what they ought to do when they're praying. Uh, that will also include singing. Uh, great commands in the New Testament for how we sing. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us to uh, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That would include preaching. All those commands about preaching in the New Testament, the local church is uh, really where ministers put that to practice. Uh, it would include the reading of God's Word. Uh, Paul commands Timothy to 
uh, devote himself to the reading of God's Word publicly. And then he always tells people to read his letters out loud in the church. So we follow that example. We read Scripture in our services. And then lastly, the ordinances. Um, for us, that's the Lord's Supper and Baptism. Uh, we plan those and integrate those into the worship service. So that's that's those kinds of things are what I want us to spend most of our time thinking about. But I also want to just ask: Are there levels to planning? So you know, you you brothers meet um, at a particular day of the week. Was it Tuesday to plan a service? Typically plan Tuesday a afternoon. Service. Yeah. Um, but are there levels of planning? So you plan like a particular Sunday, but do you plan out like weeks ahead or months ahead, just a general trajectory? What do those levels of planning look like? It depends on what's going on, but we'll typically plan the preaching schedule further ahead of time. So usually within a couple of months, we like to be planning at least a couple months ahead of the preaching schedule. As far as the weekly services, those are typically planned the week of both for scheduling purposes, but also just I mean, in freshness. There's something about planning a service and you don't have it till three weeks from now. So uh, we like to plan services and kind of really focus on that one week and then the people who will be involved with it and all that goes into that. And then when you finish Sunday, you just go right back into it. But So we don't plan ahead the services just because they become really taxing, uh, I think, for us and lose focus on, on that one particular week. Now, when you're planning a sermon series, uh, what what kinds of factors are you bringing into that? Are you thinking about... You know, what's going on in the life of the church? Are you thinking about, you know, preaching in different testaments? What kinds of things factor into planning out the sermon series? Yeah, the sermon series, uh, Brian uh, preaches expositionally. He preaches through books of the Bible. And he's often considering uh, what would be helpful for the church, things that he's noticing in his pastoral care that factors into the decision. He's also driven to preach different parts of Scripture. He wants to represent all of God's Word in his preaching ministry. So uh, he takes on hard texts very often commendably. Um, but that preaching schedule, it really drives a lot of the work we do uh, in service planning. Um, just to give you an example, you know, he's, um, we know what he's going to be preaching several months out. So I'm reading through those texts. I'm thinking, you know, do we have any songs that really address these themes? Uh, next month, actually, Pastor Brian is preaching uh, the pillars of our church. Uh, he's preaching four uh, sermons on the, the purpose of our church, what we do here at Auburndale. And I noticed in our modern worship hymns, we don't really have a lot of songs about the church. So uh, we're learning one. We're, in, we're going to integrate them into our worship next month. So that's how kind of the preaching schedule will affect us long-term planning. I think we just went through an example of just also needing to think through it carefully as we walk through it. So really committed to preach through books, and I'm preaching through Ezekiel right now. But we're coming up on, we, we came up on Mother's Day, and I... My 12th Mother's Day here at this church, I don't think I've ever preached a Mother's Day text on Mother's Day. I would always be preaching through whatever text I was in, the book of the Bible I was in, try to find applications for mothers and those kind of things. But we made a decision to for me to preach a specific text about Mother's Day for two reasons. One is because of things going on in the life of our church. We'd had some miscarriages. We had some uh, people lose their mothers. And we had some pretty difficult things that that I felt just moved to want to address more specifically. And in, in the providence of God, Ezekiel 16 was what I was scheduled to preach. And that's one of the most uh, graphic, like sexually graphic passages in all the Bible about how unfaithful Israel is. 
So though I'm sure that would have been a home run on Mother's Day. Yeah, there's really, no line that says uh, you're just like your mother or something like that. There's just about everything in that passage <laughs> yeah. that I'm looking at. It. But but that that's a I was grateful I didn't preach that even in principle of I'm just going to preach through books. I was grateful I didn't preach that on Mother's Day. The Mother's Day text gave me a chance to address some of those issues where people, where ladies especially, were hurting. So we will go off the the, the schedule even if if we hadn't originally planned that. Uh, while we're thinking big picture, um, do you all? So I want to circle back to something Jason mentioned earlier. Are, are you all thinking about rotating songs in and out of the repertoire? Um, do you catalog what we've sung and when to put something new in, or when to cycle something out? Yeah, we're very deliberate about how often we schedule songs. We just have so many songs at our disposal disposal that have um, rich theology, rich doctrine, good emotional content. We want to expose the church to just this great repertoire that we have in our hymnal and our, mar- our modern modern hymns. So um, we keep track of the last time we did a song. And how I do you, how do you keep track of it? I just use an Excel spreadsheet. It's not complicated. Um, each song has its own row, and then I just put the last uh, time that we sung it. There's a date next to the song. So um, and I update that every week just to keep track of it. We try not to repeat anything within a quarter of a year. Uh, that's just kind of a goal that we have. Occasionally, though, there's a song that just works so well that you'll repeat it a little more often based upon the theme of the service. But, mm-hmm. yeah, we keep pretty careful uh, tabs on how often we sing things. That also determines how well the congregation knows the song. So when we introduce something new, we'll do it two, three weeks in a row. I and mean, it needs to be it needs to be something the congregation learns well before we put it in that basic rotation of of, of making sure we're not doing it too much after that. And as you're planning services, um, you have different men who are leading in the services or participating in different ways. Do you have any long-term plans of rotating men into that role? Well, I'll speak from the worship standpoint of the worship musicians. Um, I just discovered a few years ago that it's really easy to burn someone out in worship, uh, worship leadership. If you've got them singing every Sunday, it can become a little bit of a burden. There's some people that feel they don't worship as well when they're leading um, and you can help them, you can shepherd them through that, but that's a legitimate challenge for them to face. So I, we have a lot of really talented people in our church, and I'm really just trying to um, get them maybe to do once or twice a month so that long term they can do it, you know, as much as we need them to do it. Uh, and then I can bear a little more of the burden and be involved more often uh, since I get paid to do it. So I think that's only fair. Uh, and I can kind of just blend in with them and play different roles. So that's definitely something from the musician standpoint of just pacing people out so they don't get burned out. As far as service leaders, we typically try to to plug men in who are who are training for ministry, trying to <clears throat> let them test their gifts for ministry. Uh, men who potentially want to lead in our church in different ways in the future, because the in our church the service leader is a really uh, important role in our church. And the people who come to our services see that, they sense it. So we, we know that when we put somebody up in front of them as a service leader, they're instantly being seen as an authority figure in doing that. And we're aware of that. So we don't want to just put anybody up there. At the same time, we, we want to put different men up so that they can get a variety of experience uh, not just preaching, but to actually lead the services and play more of a pastoral role in that way. Uh, when you all are planning a service, what's the starting point for you? Well, I think the starting point is the sermon text that's going to be preached during the service. 
we have strong convictions about God's word. It's how God changes his people. It's how God alerts unbelievers to the glorious news of Jesus. So uh, having that belief about God's word, when we plan a service, we want to leverage every part of the service to maximally impact people with God's word. And so uh, everything that comes before the sermon, I want to point people to the themes and the content of the sermon to prepare them to receive the word. And everything after the sermon, I want to reinforce what they've just heard and then help them leave uh, ready to implement what they've heard, ready to put it to use. So the sermon text is a starting point. I'm reading it early in the week. Brian is studying it and preparing to preach it. And then he'll send an outline out uh, early in the week that I get to see. And so from there, I'm drawing themes out of that. Uh, and what I do to facilitate the planning is I go ahead and come up with a service based upon my observations of the text, Brian's outline, uh, and the resources at my disposal. I go ahead and plan a service. And that helps us because it kind of gives us a punching bag. Uh, we, we may not use all the ideas, but at least we got something to work off of, and it can make us think of other things too. So I send the outline. Jason sends me back kind of that mock service. And we come together Tuesday afternoon already having that kind of dialogue interaction with the text, the direction of the sermon, and even Jay's trying to think about how it's going to, how a service would flow together to work towards that. When we meet on Tuesday, we've brought all that together. We pray first and, and, and then we jump into the planning. So we're rarely jumping in cold. We've already been thinking about it. What's really significant about that in our limited time and schedule is it allows us to make do some work on our own so we really are able to utilize that time together. So the excuse I hear a lot of guys don't plan together, like the music guy doesn't plan with the pastor who's preaching, is they just time and, and other things. This has been a great way for us to best use our time. And we easily plan two services in an hour uh, because of the preliminary work I think is done. Okay. So to make sure I'm tracking uh, with the, the service planning in the week and how it schedules out. So the sermon text will be chosen. You, Brian, will, uh, if you're preaching, will send out your outline. Um, and then Jason will, based on that outline and based on the sermon text, come up with a, a mock service and send it to you. You'll both be thinking about it. And then you'll come together and meet on Tuesday. Um, and so then talk us through, like, what does that meeting look like? You said you start with prayer, but what kinds of things are you guys going to be talking about as you're in that meeting? Uh, you can give us specific examples of service services that you planned uh, or just general principles. But what are the kinds of things that you all are going to be talking about in that meeting? You know, the conversation often starts with Ryan asking what I thought of his outline, which uh, is just a great model, I think, for pastors to get input from others. But that conversation a lot of times will help me understand maybe I'm misunderstanding something in the text or I misunderstood something in his outline. He clarifies, well, the application for this point is really going to be this. And that kind of um, it might correct just any miscommunication we've had or the fact we haven't talked about it yet. It'll kind of help us get on the same page. So we really start by talking about the text. Um, and from there, we try to pick out really key parts of the service. Um, it might help if we talked about how a service looks like at our church, but we really start by picking out what other scripture readings we're going to use and then what they might lead into as far as themes for prayers and themes for songs. What kinds of criteria would you use when choosing a scripture reading or a song? Uh, so Jason, this might be for you when you're coming up with a mock uh, service plan. 
Um, what are you using to determine if this scripture reading is going to work or if this kind of prayer, whether it's a prayer of confession or a pastoral prayer, what kinds of criteria are you using to make those kinds of decisions? Yeah, so um, the key thing is the, the theme that will relate to the sermon. So um, I'm really using a theme to try to plan everything. Uh, I want there to be a clear articulation of, of really the elements of the service, how they relate to the sermon. If you pull me aside on a Sunday to ask, why did we pick this song? I'm going to tell you something about the sermon. So really, um, I start with that theme. And then as we're choosing like scripture reading, something we think about is reflecting all of God's word. Um, so if Pastor Ryan is preaching from Ezekiel, like he's going to preach this Sunday morning, we'll look for something from the New Testament to read during the service so that we're hearing different parts of God's word. Uh, and that's even modeled for us in the New Testament, what we're commanded to consider uh, we often see uh, when those when Jesus or his followers are talking about the gospel, they're talking about the prophets, the law, the writings. So we want to do that in our service too. Uh, that's a key thing for uh, picking scripture readings. Yeah, and the usually in a normal service, we'll have a call to worship that is a scripture reading, and then we'll have another scripture reading read and towards the middle of the service before the sermon. And then we'll a lot of times have a scripture that's read as the benediction. So we're we're taking two things into consideration. What what testament is being uh, is out of balance in the service? We at least want a representation of both. Um, and then second, just how it fits, not just in the sermon text, how it complements that, but how it fits uh, into the the flow of the service that we're wanting to capture. So if you you start with a psalm that's giving praise to God. And but you're eventually progressing into a, a prayer of confession and even the hope we have in Christ leading into the sermon. I mean, that's a that's a progression. And so depending on where you're at in that that progression is going to determine which kind of uh, text you pick to, or sermon, uh, scripture reading that you choose to read. It's important, though, that um, we try to really mix up even the genres within the, the testaments. So uh, if I'm preaching out of Ezekiel, more than likely, we will not have a major prophet scripture reading. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll also try to just mix it up in those ways. We just want to make sure we expose. Uh, we don't give lip service to say we believe all the Bible and, and then really just focus in Paul's epistles. We want to really balance that out. And the service, the whole, the service as a whole is a great way to do that. As far as the prayers go that we would have in a service, we often have themes to our prayers. So we'll have a pastoral prayer, our prayer of confession, maybe a prayer for missionaries. And we've got different types of prayers that we'll focus on. And we really let the sermon text give us a cue on that. So this Sunday morning, Pastor Brian is preaching from Ezekiel. It's on uh, God's people being unfaithful. Just naturally, you feel like when you read the text, like, I want to confess my sin. Um, so that we, we let the sermon text give us a hint on what we want to do with prayers. Uh, as far as songs, we already mentioned frequency being a key issue. Um, we also uh, we have a couple little other agenda items in our songs. We want to make sure there are songs that are clear on the gospel uh, because we want, um, first of all, you know, the gospel is encouraging to, uh, believers, obviously, to sing that as just a joyful, triumphant thing. But we want unbelievers to hear the gospel resonating in our sanctuary when they visit. Um, so having a, a strong gospel focus in our songs is important. Um, we also want to match the emotion of the sermon text. So, um, you know, there are sermons that are going to be sadder that deal with uh, real issues that people are, are dealing with. Um, and so we want the music to match the emotional tenor of the preaching. 
So we're not always going to start a service with an upbeat song. It doesn't have to be done that way. There are times before where we've started a somber place to build up to confession of sin and then just gradually build to more of a reflection on redemption and uh, the good news. And by the end of the service, the songs are very triumphant. You can, you can really explore those things as your church matures emotionally, spiritually, and theologically. Yeah, two follow-up comments is that I, I, I developed this conviction years ago in serving in churches, the conviction that, that, that you want the gospel clear in your service, not just in the preaching of the word. And that came out of actually serving on staff in, in the music ministry at a church where the gospel wasn't being preached uh, regularly in the sermon. And we developed this conviction, conviction as a music team to say, you know what, I mean, we can't control that, but we can make sure the gospel's heard in this music we plan. And so when I came here and then was the one who primarily preached, that conviction just stayed there. And so we, we want people to leave feeling like they've, they've really just kind of immersed themselves in, in, the, truth of, uh, in the truth of that. Um, the other comment is uh, follow up what Jason said about you know, the emotionally, you know, be, that being a f- emotionally uh, thinking through the service and the song, you know, I get concerned if I go to a church and every song that's sung is upbeat and joyful and everything's hopeful and great because that's just not real life. And, and it, it can be really crushing and demoralizing to people who come in hurting and they are there because they know they need to be there, but they don't want to be there. And, and a way to meet them in that in that need is to acknowledge it, even in what we sing. That yeah, I'm, I'm suffering. Life's hard, but and that's where God can come and meet them in that place. We can facilitate that through through songs, or we can really uh, harm that individual by just ignoring it. A really good example of this in the history of our church is um, several um, December's ago, we had um, a deacon in our church pass away very suddenly. And we'd already planned the service for that Sunday morning uh, before this incident happened. And we had planned like joy to the world and um, good Christian men rejoice as kind of the first couple songs. And like that would have been so pastorally insensitive and we would have failed our people to be like, okay, let's sing these joyful Christmas songs. So, you know, we, we scrapped the plan and we started with a different direction. I think we started with Psalm 23 and sang some songs about God's care for us, love for us, uh, his providence. Uh, to have just those reassuring uh, songs before us. I think eventually transition back into a Christmas thing, but even then we're very careful about the kind of things that we sang. Yeah, that's a really good example because that was a, a young beloved deacon killed in a car crash suddenly, and so the congregation was just reeling. That would have been a, a, a disservice to them to come in. And, and this is a mentality that I want to discourage people from, thinking if you're not feeling joy, then you got to come in and sing a bunch of songs about joy to get you there. I, I, I don't think that's helpful or pastoral. You've got to meet people where they are and eventually try to try to take them to that place. But you gotta, you've got to start there. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. There is so much good wisdom in what you guys have just been describing. And I think one of the things that's clear in your comments is just how, uh, how leading a service really takes a pastor's care um, in thinking through how are we going to care for our people when we come gather to worship and hear God's word, what's going to make the word clear and appropriate and lead the people appropriately in worship. So thank you so much for that. So now I want to switch gears a little bit to think um, to ask you guys for some practical advice for pastors who are planning their services. And the first question that I want to ask is what advice 
do you have for a guy like me who uh, is not musically inclined? Uh, so both of you brothers are both musically gifted and are a blessing to our church in that way. But not every pastor is so gifted. Um, so what, what kind of advice would you give to somebody like me uh, who doesn't have a lot of musical talents, might not be able to discern uh, some of the choices that you guys make when you're thinking through a service? What, what advice would you give him? Well, um, I think that uh, he definitely should be involved in the planning of the services. You can't outsource that. I think you've heard already in this podcast that uh, worship planning is pastoral work. You're caring for people as you plan these services. Uh, ideally, uh, this pastor who's not musically inclined is going to find a brother in his church that uh, knows more about music, that's a little more musically gifted. I'd emphasize find somebody that uh, you have strong theological agreement with even if that means sacrificing just a little bit on the music quality. Um, don't go recruiting a musician out from your community to join your church and become the music leader if they don't agree with you uh, theologically and they don't agree with you um, on your vision for worship. Yeah, two things come to mind. One is uh, even if you're, if you're a pastor and you're just you're tone deaf, you're so just, un, just musically challenged so much, that a lot of and a lot of pastors would claim to be that, and they just don't want to have, you know, anything to do with it. I think you need to remember that um, the calling of a pastor is to be the doctrinal gatekeeper of the church, and so it doesn't it doesn't matter if if you are uh, terrible at musical things or not. You're still the doctrinal gatekeeper of the church. A big part of that is public worship. So uh, you need to be involved just to be the doc, just knowing that's your role as an overseer. And certainly bring in musicians, certainly those who are theologically minded and like-minded as you is, is, um, is ideal. But, but you have to know that that's a big part of your role um, to, guard that, to guard that in the church. Uh, any other practical tips about, so I think uh, it's been mentioned, keeping like an index of songs that have been sung. Any other things like that or scripture readings that have been done? Or? Before you go there, yeah. one other thought I just remembered. The other thing as far as how a pastor, um, I, I want, I wish it was a requirement at seminary to do music 101 before you could get, before you could finish your education. So I would encourage a pastor, um, to go to the ba- go to just a basic class to learn the basic ideas of music. And, you know, you're never going to learn potentially to play an instrument with, but like, you know, go sing in a choir for a semester, you know, try to learn learn at least what the notes mean on the paper. Even if you don't, there's plenty of educational things you can learn and still be, and not be musically gifted. So instead of just dismissing it and kind of passing it to the, to the music guy, I think pastors need to, to be really assertive in learning, the, having a basic knowledge of that. And I would also push to say, you need to have a basic um, understanding of singing. Like if, if worst case scenario, because a pastor, I mean, especially a pastor in a small church, I mean, if you may be it, your piano player doesn't show up or your one music leader doesn't show up, you know, that's a pretty scary place to be if you're put in that position every week. Every pastor, I think, needs to be proficient enough to sing enough to where if he had to just, you know, uh, jump in a bucket and sing in, in the pulpit that he could. And so I just want to push pastors to not sell themselves short. That may not be where they're gifted, but there are basic things they can learn. And I would really push them to do that because that will help them in understanding the more of the specifics of what we're talking about. So like getting to know the hymnal 
would that be yeah. another, another good? So I've noticed in some hymnals in the back that they're like they're categorized and according to theme or in different yeah. ways. No, no, your if if anything, it will it will equip the pastor to just better participate in worship when he's saying. But again, a lot of times they other pastors just won't even want to go there. I mean, it's just kind of scary. I don't, even, I don't even, I'm not musically gifted, therefore I shouldn't learn this. But I'm not gifted at language, but I but I need to know Greek if I'm going to preach. You know, the best I can. And the same same kind of idea with, with music. Well, you asked about resources. Um, so, yeah, an index is very helpful. If you're using a hymnal at your church, the back of your hymnal, there's a topical index. Those vary on their helpfulness. There are some that are great. There are some that are not very great. Uh, you should get familiar with that. If you're at a church that's a little more uh, contemporary music and you're not using a hymnal, I'd, I'd challenge whoever is involved in leading your worship to do an index for your songs. Uh, list them, put some themes next to them so that when you sit down to plan, you're not thinking, well, what's everyone hearing on the radio? You're thinking, well, here's some songs that are going to fit what we're talking about. So you can do that in a church that's very different than ours. Um, you do your own index. Um, there are a lot of really helpful uh, tools and resources on the web. I'd really recommend heminary.org. How do you spell that? That is H-Y-M-N-A-R-Y. Maybe we'll put a link to it on It's yeah. extremely helpful. It's like him and seminary put together. Heminary. All right. Does that make sense? Uh, that was uh, the, the, what I love about it, it's got word search capabilities. So I can search for words and our hymnal. And that has helped me find so many songs over the years that fit so well with what we're trying to do in a service. Great. Uh, any book recommendations? Of course, we commend to people to pick up a copy of Gather God's People, but any other books that you have found helpful in thinking about worship or leading? Let me say something about that in that it's a, it's, it was meant to be a small book, which it is, but Jason did a tremendous job of putting those resources that he just listed off. So um, yeah. if you have it or you end up picking up the book, we put everything in the back that we feel like would be sufficient if you had nothing else. These resources websites and books and other things uh, that that would be helpful in thinking through some of these principles. So um, a rare moment, I think the, I think the back, the indexes in that book in particular are just as valuable as the whole, meaning the content, you know, content of the book. As far as other books, um, there, there are some books that write about the regulative principle and which is just the idea that scripture is, a, is the guide for what our service should be in our service or what shouldn't be in our service. There's a tremendous amount of debate on this, um, and we, and what we've been talking about, and even the, the book, takes a pretty middle-of-the-road position. Uh, we believe there is a regulative principle, but we, we take a softer, uh, pretty soft position on it based on where others would be. But we do believe there is a clear guide in Scripture on what our services should should be there. I say that because some of the, there's some books out there that are helpful in just talking about this issue of corporate worship. But a lot of times it's it's under that umbrella. So you've got um, you know you have Bob Coughlin who's written some really wonderful stuff just on on worship and what it is, what that you know what it means, how we should think uh, think through that. There's um, Terry Johnson wrote a, a little booklet on uh, I guess it's called I guess it's called Reform Worship, but it's it's a it's a bit of a harder stance on the regulative principle, but he he certainly makes a compelling case uh, for it. 
Really well. um, I love Mark Dever and Paula, Paula Alexander's The yeah. Deliberate Church. Right. Uh, read that when I was in college, and the worship chapter is phenomenal. Um, I also really like, I think it's called Give Praise to God. Yeah, the, is that right? Yeah, Festschrift to Voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a collection of essays. Uh, Ligon Duggan's essay and uh, that book is tremendous. Also a good resource if you want to understand the regular principle. It is one of the best. Uh, I think it's actually two essays he wrote in that collection. So those are a few that we, that I've really benefited from over the years. I'm forgetting the name of the book, but the it's a collection of essays and Carson wrote a chapter in it. It's worth the, it's worth its weight in gold and it's worth the whole book. Jason, you remember the name of that book? It, it's it's I can see the cover. It's on, but it's, I think it's on worship. I can't, but Carson's one of the, his chapter on worship is as far as just a, an explanation of what worship is and how to think about a local church. Yeah. That's uh, that's worship by the book. Thank you. There yeah. it is. That's I, honestly, I can't remember a lot of the other chapters. Carson's is just gold though. So that's a one, it's a great one chapter to read. Well, Jason, brother, would you uh, close us by praying that the Holy Spirit would aid pastors as they plan their worship services? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for uh, what you have done in your church. You have made your church a beautiful bride, and you have made her a display of your wisdom for the whole world to see. We thank you that there are pastors listening to this podcast, and we pray for them as they take some of these suggestions and use them at their church. We pray that you reform uh, the worship in all of our churches, and we pray that as unbelievers walk into these services, they would say, surely God is among them. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Trench Talk. We'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you might have for us. So to get in touch with us, you can email us, Brian at practicalshepherding.com, where you can contact us through Facebook or Twitter. You can find out more about Practical Shepherding at our website. And at the website, you can find our blog, and you can also find information about articles and books that we've published. You can also find out information about our regional workshops, where we engage pastors face-to-face to equip them for the trench work of ministry. So until next time, may the God of peace, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you as you labor in the trenches of pastoral ministry.